Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna. This is Ben Olson of Vienna, Virginia. By the way, I guess there's a more popular Vienna somewhere else. But um, with me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. Yeah, how's it going, man? You're sick, huh? Yeah, I'm sick. That's a bummer. Catch it from your kids. Uh, Yeah, probably. I generally blame them for most things that are, Mm -hmm. you know, sick related. Yep. Yeah, this sickness is weird. I mean, it's not really early right now. It's 1230. But if you had talked to me like three hours ago, I'd just be like all clogged up. So it's it's bad in the morning. And then by class time at night, I'm feeling good. This has happened like three days in a row. So I go to bed thinking I'm I'm cured. And then I wake up the next morning worse. Yeah, that's a bummer, man. I'm sure. Yeah. Dear listeners, thanks for hearing that. Um, <laughs> but that's my situation. So I, I'm feeling good right now. I'm going to be better by the time this show is over. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, we have a lot of exciting stuff going on. You're coming out to D.C. Yeah, I'm coming soon. I'm coming this weekend. Uh, when this podcast goes out, some of you, I mean, I'll be in D.C. when this podcast is airing. Yeah. Uh, for our talk at George Mason. So we can't, I don't know. Hey, if you uh, <laughs> are in the area, you could come to George Mason Right now, not George Mason. What am I talking about? George Washington. G-W. George Washington. There's a, it's Christ. okay. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of Georges out here. There's George Mason. There's George Washington. There's Georgetown. Um, yeah. Anyways, I wonder why that would be. I don't know. A lot. A lot of uh, Georges in our history. <laughs> I was, guess <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> 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 We're well, off to a I, rocky start this morning. <laughs> I'm taking you very literally, David. Um, well, I was just thinking, I was actually getting kind of meta into that. I was like, I guess George was a popular name back then. I mean, I knew it obviously relates to George Washington. It's, those it's people, 100% but, because of George Washington. That's well, the of only course. reason. Well, wait, no, no. See, so George Mason is a different guy. I Well, of course, George Mason. But George, the, all the Georgetown, George, it's George Washington. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I was taking your question seriously. I was thinking George must, oh, because then you had King George too, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So, anyways, trying to figure out why that was a popular name. But in any case, today on the show, we have our weekly LSAT fundamental. Did you write that, dude? Did Hell you make no. the. F- no. No. <laughs> no, I did not. So, I enjoy the fact that you capitalized F U N. I don't know if our fundamentals are fun, but I hope that they are. I hope that everything about this show is fun on some level. It's useful. We're going to talk about reading comprehension to yeah. today. It's going we to be great. We call it a use mental. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. What else are we talking about? Oh, okay. We'll keep going. Um, an early decision reminder from Liberty University. Mm, that sounds strange. A, qu- a question on retaking the LSAT. We're going to talk about a request for logic game help. And a thank you from a student, okay? A GPA addendum review. And um, if we have time, we're going to tackle some questions from LSAT India, questions 10 and 11. You know, I was just reading about LSAT India yesterday um, because I taught the LSAT India 2 games last night in class. It was super fun because I had never seen them before. Um, Did Worlds for all four of them, by the way. Nice. But wow. although the last one, it was kind of up in the air whether it was worth it, but it still was easy once the worlds were done. I was reading on LSAT India's official website that the test takers get to take 
all four sections with a max time. So if I understood what they were saying correctly, it's not like they have 35 minutes per test. They have a total time, and then they just get to take all those sections in that time. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to read that again, but I was like, oh, that would be nice. Anyways, I think that's a better way to do the test. I should just make it untimed. Yeah, just make it hard and untimed. Say like, good luck. Here's let's test your logic. Yep. All and right. Your English so, and whether you've prepared or not. I mean, they they'd have to make it a little harder, but they could make it untimed. Yeah. And that would solve the whole weird accommodations shit. Anyway. Yep. Although some people, you know, they'd come back and they'd be like, I need more than a day. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> okay. Uh, email the show at help at com. If you do, please send us your selfies. You don't have to, of course, but we love to see them and uh, post them with the show notes if we can. Um, there's all sorts of ways to listen. You can listen through iTunes, of course, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, and if you want, thinkingelsat.com. Yeah, um, we noticed people on the Facebook group asking if the <laughs> podcast was available on on Android. And it was hmm. like, oh, shit, <laughs> what? You don't know how to get the show? There's, yeah, I mean, Android people, I think a lot of people, they use this app called Stitcher to listen to podcasts. But yeah. we are also on Spotify. Um, so there's just, there's a million ways to find the show if you're interested. Yeah, and YouTube too, if you have to. That's yeah, pretty much totally. universal. Yep. We forgot to pimp um, the Vegas class. Oh, we did. And this is the last chance people have. When this goes out on Monday, the, there will still be um, a few days left for the uh, discount. That's right. Yeah. So if you sign up by February 1st, you get $100 off the three ninety five. If you are already a Demon subscriber, you'd get another $100 off. So that'd be 200 if you're a Demon subscriber and subscribe by February 1st. But you don't have yeah, to be a demon up. subscriber or anything like that. But anyways, yeah. No, but sign up now um, and you'll get 100 bucks off uh, just for the early bird discount uh, for signing up before February 1st. If you hear this after February 1st, uh, sorry, but hope you'll still join us in Vegas. That's coming up. And uh, the date, March 15, 16, is that right? Uh, I think it's 16, 17. <clears throat> so, sorry, March 16, 17 uh, in beautiful luxurious <laughs> i don't know about <laughs> las <beautiful>. vegas nevada <laughs> yeah cool man. Oh, it's gonna be fun i can't wait okay cool all right so uh demon updates you have a call for graphics and t-shirt designs oh well i was uh, nobody responded to the my last call so maybe this will <laughs> be the um last time i'll do this but uh, if anybody wants to send in graphics praise the demon <laughs> graphics <laughs> for uh because we need to praise the the praise the demon t-shirt but yeah. uh if anybody has any lsat demon uh fan art or graphics or t-shirt designs we would love to uh love to get that from you okay cool that's help at thinking yeah help at thinking thank you i was just talking to a student right before we got on this show and she had scored a, a 148 officially and she had started using khan academy and she was walking th me through her experience, and I thought it was kind of funny. So I just thought I'd share it with you and see what you think. Okay. Um, she signed up for Khan Academy, and they had her take a test. I think you have to take a diagnostic first. 
And then um, they asked her how many hours a week she was planning to study. And I think she said like one to two hours three times a week or something like that. And then they said, well, what's your goal score? And she put in 165. And it was like, oh, I'm sorry. We can't work with that. Like you need you need to study more per week. So then she put in like some more days. So it was like five days a week or something. And it's like, oh, that's, a, that's good enough. We can work with that. So then um, she started doing practice problems. And it tried to guess her current score based off of like where she's at based off the practice problems she did. And she did like a reading comp or something. And it was like, oh, you're at a 170. And she's like, what? I'm at a 170 already? And (laughs) anyways, then she did some more problems and it was like consistently saying she's at a 170 and she's confused. So I don't know. I would say that actually this is something that we've been working on. I know that you and I haven't talked about it a lot, but uh, we have talked about how to uh, anticipate people's scores using the demon. And it's a complex art that involves a lot of variables and a lot of data. So when she started telling me this, I just started laughing because I was like, we haven't even gotten close to rolling this out because it takes some work and a lot of <laughs> analytics and you can't just like throw out numbers. And even when you do throw out a number, you have to throw out a pretty big range because you have to recognize the inherent error in your estimate until you get more data. So the system that we had talked about implementing would actually have a very wide range for people at first. And then it would slowly narrow over time as we got more information, but it would never get to a particular score. I mean, that's the test itself admits that you can't do that. I don't So What? I don't know. What's the point of even trying to predict it? Just take a practice test. You can just take a practice test. I agree. But it is, it is something that I've been interested in because when you do a computer adaptive like testing, right, you can get more information faster than you can with a regular test. So for me, it's more just like, an intellectual side project and I would love to know how to do that. But I find it amazing that Khan is actually giving you a specific number after doing a few reading comp passages. It's dumb. The test is made up of 35 minute timed sections. There's no way to get around that. I mean, the game isn't individual questions on the day. The game is 35 minute sections. Yeah. So I, I don't just don't see any point in predicting people's, score based on how they've been doing answering questions that are separated from 35 minute sections. Uh, That doesn't, doesn't make any sense. That's dumb. That's my opinion. You said you wanted my opinion. I gave it to you. I appreciate it, dude. Um, (laughs) I, I, (laughs) I think, uh, it's, it's not something that we're actively working on, but it is something that I am curious about partly because, well, I think it's how it's not it's not important. I agree with you on that point. Um, but that's how I think the LSAT should be done. Like of if course. I were to that's how the LSAT, LSAT should be done. That's not how the yeah. LSAT is done. So who fucking cares? I don't know. I'm I'm glad you have an intellectual side project thinking about it, but it just either I don't see any point in doing that for the demon until the LSAT decides that that's how they're going to score it. 
which they probably never will, right? I mean, well, yeah, I still think there's value because, like, if 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 eventually this is a long ways down the road, but if we could um, kind of anticipate that as people are studying, then um, I think the demon can do a better job of figuring out what they're good or bad at. Like we need that data to see how it's working. So I, I, I'm going to keep looking into it, (laughs) but, um, anyways, that's my update on con. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's bizarre that con is telling her that she's scoring 170. That's just, (laughs) that's ridiculous basically. Yeah. She wasn't even doing time shit. Right. No, no, it does time. I think it does time you and it, it like, Ba- estimates based on the time that you've spent doing um, that question. I see. Okay. So LSAT fundamentals. Yeah. Reading comprehension. Yes. We're going to talk about reading comprehension today. I, I was thinking about it as we're, you know, creating this new joint curriculum together. I was thinking about how to sort of restructure what I want to talk to people about in their LSAT studies, what I want to talk to them about first. Yeah. Reading comprehension, I think in a way, and I mean, we're going to talk this out together, (laughs) you and I, right. Mm -hmm. But, um, reading comprehension seems it, it, I have less to say about reading comprehension than I do about any other section of the test. I spend less time on reading comp in my live classes than I do on any other section of the test. Mm hmm. But what I have to say about reading comprehension, I think it, there, it has application across all sections of the test. Because the, the one really important thing I want people to wrap their minds around is that lawyers read and understand everything. And the reading comprehension section of the LSAT is... <laughs> it might be the most difficult test of reading comprehension that most people probably have ever had in their life. Mm -hmm. They are testing your English for sure. They're they're testing your vocabulary for sure, but they're also testing your patience and they're testing how serious you can be. They're testing how detail oriented and how serious you can be. And it's, it's funny to me that, that that lesson actually pays dividends, but I have students all the time who improve dramatically on reading comprehension because I have yelled at them about taking it more seriously and like trying harder basically. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, it's not okay to let your eyes glaze over and not understand what you're reading on the LSAT. Yeah. And people do it on reading comp. They get bored essentially. And they just tune out of the passage and they just keep reading the passage and they get done down to the end of it. And they basically have no idea what the passage was about. And then they either reread the whole thing, in which case that's a huge waste of time. Or they just start trying to answer the questions when they don't even know what the passage was about. And (laughs) And then all the questions are bewildering, right? Yeah. And if you're going to do that on reading comp, then you're, you know, people also do that same thing on logical reasoning. Oh, what's this one about? Oh God. uh," You know, and they just like kind of get, they let themselves, 
get bored. Their eyes just kind of glaze over. Yeah. And then even on the logic games, there will be, you know, they'll just misread a rule or they'll misread a question mm-hmm. or there'll be some complicated setup. It's some game that, you know, it's unfamiliar and they read through it too quickly and they just don't like really parse what it's about. Mm-hmm. And then they just start trying to answer questions <laughs> without like really reading and comprehending. Yeah. So I don't know. I, what do you think about this? Like I, I, I kind of, I like the idea of talking to new students about reading comprehension first in a way it's the most familiar section. I mean, it is the most familiar looking section as well. Mm-hmm. So there, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a benefit there. I don't know. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, hmm, let's see. So historically I've always talked about the games first cause that's what people are most worried about. Yeah. Um, to your point though, should we talk about reading comp first? Maybe so in the sense that it's easy bang for your buck, right? You don't have to say that much and then people can take that advice and start implementing it right away while you continue to talk about games and logical reasoning over a longer period. Yeah. And maybe get them tuned into the idea that like, Hey guys, you're going to have to get serious about this shit. (laughs) Like it's, it, it, look at this, you know what, you know, what's up. It's read a passage and answer questions. You've been doing this since literally grammar school, mm-hmm. but great grammar school. What's, what's that? Or elementary school. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't people say grammar school? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But you've been doing this your whole life basically. Yeah. And so look, it's familiar, but Hey, <laughs> look at this passage. Wow. <laughs> Do you see how it's like, really poorly written? Do you see how it's got like really hard words? Do you see how it's about topics that you maybe don't give any shit about? Okay, well, let's talk about how we're going to have to get our teeth into this test and make it easy on ourselves by really engaging. And I think if I can teach people that early on, then I I, I think good bang for your buck makes a lot of sense, Ben. That like, if, yeah. you, if you can get to where you start getting them all right on the reading comp because you just are doing the work, mm-hmm. then I think that, you know, it, it could be a big benefit in uh, all the other sections as well. Hmm. I do think it is the section that's most indicative of your success in law school. I could believe that. Yeah. Uh, just that. And then second place would be logical reasoning because you do so much reading in law school. So when someone is reading a a reading comp passage and they're having trouble identifying the main point or explaining to me what is going on, and I'm thinking to myself, this is 15 sentences, what are you going to do with a case from the 1800s that's uh, two or three pages? Yeah, just what are you going to do with the unending mountain of documents that you're you're about to experience for the rest of your career? Yeah. So anyway, when it comes to this, I think it's important to recognize that it is – you do need to get into it. And, I, you know, you talk about people glossing over or saying that they got bored. It's it's understandable, I think, because so many people do it, and these are sometimes boring topics, but they are only 15 to 16, 17 sentences. And – you've got to stop. You've got to take the path of most resistance, not the path of least resistance. This is 
a test that's going to dramatically affect where you go to school, how much money you get. Um, also, if you can master this, then that says to yourself and to others that you are capable of mastering law school and maybe this profession. If you can't, then this is probably not something for you. If if getting to a point where you can own a passage that's poorly written um, is not something that you can do, then maybe you should reconsider law school. Yeah, there's a reason why law schools will give tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarships for people with high LSAT scores. And that is that high LSAT scores indicate that you're smart, serious, hardworking, you know, and going to be a a kick-ass attorney. Yeah. Given that, what are some concrete steps that people can take to get better at reading, at focusing, at understanding? Right, right. I think the first thing, I mean, what I was going to say is I I want you to take it, I want you to decide that you're going to take this seriously because this is the beginning of your legal career. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to read this like a lawyer. You have to read it like you, like this is an attorney. You have to take it seriously. Yeah. So the one thing I say in my classes a lot is pretend you're at a law firm. I gave you this document. I'm your boss. I gave you this document and I asked you to read it to tell me what they want. Why does this document exist? Why is this document in our law office? And so your, your goal when you're reading the passage is just to figure out what they are trying to sell. What is, why did this document come into existence? What are, they, what are they trying to convince us to do here? What's their opinion? What do they want? And I like that path of most resistance idea, Ben. Oh, thanks. I think the way you get there is by stopping frequently and checking in and making sure that you're understanding, especially at the beginning of the passage. Mm-hmm. You teach it that way? I do, yeah. I teach it as an upside-down triangle. There's more effort up front, and as you own it, it starts to get easier as you go. It gets dramatically easier as you get down to the end of the passage. When, I, when I'm at the end of the passage, I find myself going, oh, yeah, I knew you were going to go there. Okay, yeah, I see. I get it. Because I've followed along with the argument. Yeah, I, I, I would just add to that. It gets dramatically easier as you get closer to the end of the passage if you put that effort in up front. Yeah. Otherwise, it stays the same or gets harder. Right, because it's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, well, hmm. and you start making assumptions and filling in gaps, and it's no wonder you get questions wrong at that point. Yeah, if you gloss over the first sentence, you know, or or if you get intimidated, because I think they they do try to intimidate students, and they succeed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they'll have the first sentence will be you know six or seven lines, way too many words, convoluted sentence structure probably also a word or two that you might not know. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know every word. Like, I mean, there's words on every LSAT that I don't know, you know, because especially in the reading comp, because they'll, they'll be talking about some like esoteric topic that I've never even heard of before. Right. Especially Mm -hmm. like on the science ones, there's definitely words I've never heard before, but they normally explain unfamiliar vocabulary Mm -hmm. or, or they just go ahead and define words a lot in the reading comp. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that first sentence, they will, they, they're doing it on purpose to try to see if you will like give up basically. Mm -hmm. Will you tune out? Can they make your eyes glaze over? They're trying to put you to sleep. 
And so you have to resist that. And the way we do it, um, I never learned this, you know, nobody ever taught me this, but I, I like noticed myself doing it Mm -hmm. is that I read and I stop and I think about it for a moment. And I think that's just really the superpower on reading comp. It also, I mean, I do that on logical reasoning too. Basically just anytime you need to stop, you should stop. If, if you're like drowning, you know, you have to like get a breath. So don't let yourself after that first sentence and even sometimes halfway through the first sentence, I'll stop and think about what they're saying, try to figure out what they want and then try to make a prediction about where you think they're going next. Yeah. You teach your classes that too? Exactly the same thing. The prediction will help you understand where it's going and what you're going to read next. But it also signals to you that you do understand what was read, right? Because when you don't really understand what was read, you're going to have a lot of trouble trying to predict where it's going to go because it's not ideas in your mind. It's just words on a page. And I see this all the time. People will read the first sentence or the first paragraph and I'll say, okay, so what's going on? And they look back at the paragraph and they start reading the words again. And it's like, um, if you and I have a conversation right now and you walk away and you go start telling your friend about our conversation, you don't quote me. You just say, well, he was talking about this and he was talking about that. In fact, when people quote other people, they almost always have trouble doing it, right? They say like, uh, I don't remember exactly what he said, but the idea was X, right? Yeah. Because you understood the idea. The idea was conveyed to your mind. And these sentences are poorly written. So it's not always the case that when you're finished reading the sentence, the idea is now clear in your mind. You have to do a little work, and that's where the pause comes in. But when you do pause and you think about what has been said and maybe even reread it to the point where you're like, oh, I get it. The idea, the the words are now an idea. Now you're free to do whatever you want with that idea. And by the way, you're much more likely to remember it. That's why (laughs) when I answer questions in class, I'm like, oh, yeah, the author is like, Totally didn't like this. Remember they said that um, washing cars on Friday is is dangerous or something? And people are like, well, where does it say that? Where does it say that? I don't don't remember where it was said. I just know that the author said that. It's like a conversation that I had with someone the other day. I don't remember at what point in the conversation they said that. I just know they said that. Um, Because I think (laughs) when words become ideas in our heads, we don't necessarily organize them linearly, right? It's more like, okay, I got it. That was said at some point. And now it's something I understand that you believe. I may disagree with you, but I understand your position. Yeah. Um, and, and when you do it that way, you don't need to underline anything. You don't need to highlight anything. You don't need to write down any notes. That's not what we're doing. That's not real comprehension. That's not comprehension at all. That's just like, Oh, I'm going to underline something so that I don't have to actually engage with the idea. You yeah. Know, this yeah. like circling keywords and bullshit like that. Mm-hmm. I look over people's shoulder and they like circled every like, however. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> it's like oh, that oh, word you know has that no that, meaning. Yeah. It just transitioned from 
one thing to another. <laughs> Where's the idea, people? What do they want? What are they trying to sell you? And if you can just sort of, yeah, you, you, so you take that first sentence, and it might be six lines, right? It might be 45 words. It might be some outrageously long, convoluted sentence. Yeah. But you break it down into, sum it up in your own words in your head, just like, oh, okay, I see. I think they want this. I think they're going to go, and you make a, make a prediction, like, I think they're going to try to sell me on this. Yeah. Right? And now you read the next sentence, you're primed. When, when, if they do do what you predicted, it's going to be easier to read. If they don't do what you predicted, you're going to, you're going to really identify with what they are saying because you're going to be like, Oh, I see. Oh, I thought they were going to do this, but they turns out they did this. Yep. So the point isn't to be correct about your prediction. The point Mm -hmm. is to just be, this is a test of your engagement to see whether you're really there or not. Yeah. Um, if you, if you can't make that prediction, then you really do have to reread that first sentence mm-hmm. and students are resistant to do that. Students are like, Oh, but I I don't have time to do that. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you do that now, it's going to keep you from rereading the entire goddamn passage. Yeah. And if you read it really well at the top of the passage, it's going to help you to read the bottom of the passage much more smoothly. Yeah. I would say another thing too, and that is like some of these sentences are six lines long. I've seen them as long as 11 lines long. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and when they are that long, that means they often have several independent clauses. They may have two, they may have three. Uh, you know, the LSAT is notorious for defining things as mid sentence, which mm-hmm. itself is an independent idea that you need to digest on its own. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is when I'm explaining a sentence to someone else, like our goal is to get you to explain it to us so that we can make sure that you understand it. Right. But, you know, when that doesn't happen or at some point we need to throw in the towel and I'm I'm explaining what this long ass sentence is saying to the class, I will find myself breaking up the sentence into several short, plain English sentences. So it's like, okay, there's a director, period. (laughs) This director is angry, period, right? It's like our minds, when they're dealing with ideas, are dealing with things that come out of, I was going to say Dr. Seuss, but Dr. Seuss is even like convoluted. Just Jane sees spot run. Like that's okay and that's good. If you can take a long sentence and pull out each of the correct but simple ideas. You may find four or five ideas in there, but if you understand each of them, then now you own that sentence, you own the ideas of that sentence, and that's all that matters. Most of the ideas in reading comprehension are not that hard to understand. Right. They're not right. things that like once I say it to the class, everybody's like, oh well, yeah, that makes sense. It's not like they they really struggle with the science, right? People sometimes are like, I don't get it. It's like, no, it's just volcanoes and they're just yeah. erupting. And it's just yeah. let me know. give a simple example that always brings to mind is yeah. that one passage about lichenometry. Yes. Right? Yep. Like lichenometry, L I C H E N ometry, lichenometry. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, that's a word that no one has ever seen before. Yep. But 
in in the very beginning of that passage, so people get real intimidated. Oh shit! Like an oh no, I'm just going to skip this passage. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, <laughs> they define the word lichenometry. What lichenometry is is they use lichens. Lichens are something that you probably studied in junior high, but if you didn't, lichen is a fucking plant thing, right? Who cares? It's not even and material. I didn't even, so. I didn't even know what lichens are, but you can figure it out based on what they say the lichens do. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, it sounds it's, like moss. <laughs> it's a very slow-growing, whatever, plant creature thing, right? Sure. Okay? And their lichenometry is they're using these plants, lichen, they're using the lichen. What are they using the lichen for? They're using the lichen to date rocks or date earthquakes or some shit like that, right? Mm-hmm. And the, okay, well, why are they telling me about this? Oh, they're telling me about this because they want to tell me that it's a better way or an additional way or a new way of doing geology shit, like dating things. Yeah. Oh, that's all there is to it? Yeah. Yeah, that's all there is to it. But if you read that just a tiny bit too fast, your just head is swimming and you have no fucking clue what they're talking about. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess we've said this a million times, but in order to speed up on the LSAT generally, you need to achieve mastery over the actual content of the test. <laughs> I yeah. hate to break it to you people. You're going to have to actually understand this shit if you want to be good at the LSAT. I don't know why I'm apologizing for that because it's fun to understand things. It's, it's better to understand things than not to understand things. Yeah. But I feel a lot better. We're, we are not ever going to be teaching you like shortcut gimmicky tricks and bullshit. Okay. The LSAT is a serious test. <laughs> Lawyers are serious people. You are going to have to commit to the idea that you're going to read shit and you're just gonna figure it out. You are going to understand this test. That's why I wanted to talk about reading comprehension first, Ben, is because I just want, like, I want to sell people on the idea that you have to dig into this thing and really actually understand what the fuck they're saying. And then if you can do that, then everything else gets so easy after that. Yeah. Like laughably easy, Ben. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like we do this all the time, right? I mean, on, on reading comp, the, the wrong answers will look so wrong to you if you just understood what the passage was about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What else do we have to say about, about the reading comp? We definitely need to talk about the question types. What, what do you do when you get to the end of the passage? I pause yet okay. again. And I recap the main point of the passage. Uh, For me, that's often two or three short sentences. I'm like, okay, so there were these people who were mad about the new chess rules. And this author thinks that they shouldn't be mad, main point, because, um, you know, it's always been this way or whatever it is. And and so in some ways, what I think I'm actually doing is I'm taking this 16-sentence passage and I'm turning it into a three-sentence LR question. So <clears throat> the main point may be just one of those sentences, but it's sort of like I'm taking the big picture 
and putting it all together. In in some cases, that helps me better identify what the main point is. In other cases, um, it just kind of helps me understand the structure of the passage. Because yeah. I've noticed that on the main point questions themselves, they tend to be a little... Not always. Sometimes they're narrow, like logical reasoning, and they just say the main point. But sometimes they do incorporate, like, the critics or the concession that's discussed mm-hmm. in the first two paragraphs or something like that. And I, by having that holistic view of the passage, it kind of helps me identify what the main point is, but also just the big picture. Yeah, again, you're coming down the hall to your boss's office – Yep. To explain to them what this document was about. Mm-hmm. What do they want? It's not just the topic. It's not just, oh, it was about lichenometry. Yeah. It's, yeah, but why did they write this? Are they trying to tell me that lichenometry is good? Are they trying to tell me that lichenometry is bad? Are they trying to tell me that lichenometry is new? You know, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what I really want. I want why. So, yeah. You can sum that up for yourself in your head. Just think like if my super scary boss was like waiting for me to say what this document is about, why does this document exist? Yeah. What would I tell him? And you shouldn't have to look back at the passage in order to do that. I like, <laughs> I yell at my classes because I, 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 you know, I'll call, they'll, they just did a reading comprehension section mm-hmm. and I'm like, Hey Bill, what was uh, that this first uh, passage about? And they like are looking back at the at the passage. Yeah, and it's like, wait a second, you just read it. The section, the name of the section is called reading comprehension. Yeah, did you read? Comprehension means understanding, by the way. So, did you understand? The passage. If you understood the passage, I don't know why you're looking back at the passage. Yeah. It's not, I'm not asking you to memorize the passage, but what do they want? Why does this, what, (laughs) what is this? What do they want? And you, you really got to, and so people just, they got to, I think they have to try harder. They have to just take it more seriously. They have to slow way down and just make sure that you're able to say what they wanted at the end of the, at the end of the passage, because the first question frequently is a main point question, right? Yeah. Um, what do you do on a main point question? Well, at that point I will have predicted the main point. So then I just go into the answers looking for that. But if I haven't, for some reason, if I failed to predict the main point, then I make sure I predict the main point then and there before looking at the correct answers. And as I go through the answers, I remember two things generally. The wrong ones tend to be too narrow. They mention some part of the passage accurately, but it's not the main point. It's not what the author was ultimately trying to prove or convince us of. Or they say something that's inconsistent with the passage. It's in, some part of the answer is inaccurate. And as, as long as any part of that answer choice is inaccurate, it doesn't matter if the rest is perfect. That makes yeah. it wrong. Yep. Th- so, yeah, I have a lot to say about this, this one question. It is a, like a bellwether um, or canary in the coal mine. Or let me see if I can come up with something else people won't understand. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is the it's a this is an indicator of whether you're gonna whether you really got the passage or not. Okay, 
you predict the answer for the main point. Like, what would I tell my boss this document was about? What did they want? And you have a real clear idea what they want. What are they selling? And then you go into the answer choices, and it's amazing how often there's only one answer that even has that in there. Yeah. And if you can predict it, if you'll start to build confidence about the, about the rest of the questions, confidence about the LSAT generally, you'll start to realize how easy this test is. If you don't do that, then the answer choices are going to really be confusing to you. If you're reading A and you're trying to make a case for A, you're totally doing it wrong. A has an 80% chance of being wrong. So I'm, I know what I want. And when I read A, if it's not exactly what I want, it's just probably not the answer. It was already probably not the answer, right? It was 80% chance to be wrong every time. Yeah. By the way, I should clarify for all those listeners who are too eagerly like trying to take away tips and tricks, (laughs) all five answer choices have an 80% (laughs) chance of being wrong. It's not something special about A. So please don't be like, oh, okay, avoid A. A is likely to be wrong. (laughs) Well, but you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Also avoid B and C and D and E. (laughs) Your job is not to make a case for the answer choices. Your job is to eliminate wrong answer choices. Like your job is to know what you want and quickly dismiss wrong bullshit. Accuracy is everything. Okay. Yeah. So think about it. Like in, would you stand up in court or would you stand up in front of your boss and say, yep, this right here, this is what they wanted. This is what they said right here. Yeah. Yeah. Anything different from what the passage said is out, right? (laughs) It's just like, Mm -hmm. no, one way that they frequently make answer choices wrong is they just sort of turn up the volume a little bit too high. Mm-hmm. Oversell so it. They'll just they'll just oversell it. Like it'll just be stronger than what the passage actually said. That's not that can't be the answer because that's not what they said. That's you making shit up now if you yeah. pick that answer, right? Yeah. So anything different or extra is out. And then Ben, you you pointed out that they will frequently the wrong answers will have part of the argument, but not actually the author's like opinion, like what they wanted. Yeah. So it'll be like one of their reasons, but it won't actually go far enough to say, and here's what they were trying to sell you. Yeah. Cover up the answer choices though, (laughs) and make a prediction before you get into those answer choices. Cause otherwise they're going to really confuse you. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. What else? What other, after we do that, what, what type, what other types of questions do we find? Oh, so really quick, just going back to predicting the main point. Oh yeah. I would say that when you get to the end of the passage, it's very easy to skip this step because you read it, you understood maybe the last sentence that you read. And then I say to people, Hey, what's the main point? And you have to think a little bit and you're like, um, Okay. So the main point is, and, and that takes mental effort. And so people say, I don't got time for this. I don't even, it's not even about time. Sometimes it's just, you want to take the path of least resistance and going back to that idea. No, dig in, take the path of most resistance, because ironically, the path of most resistance 
is the path of least resistance in the long run, right? Like force yourself to go down this muddy road for a half second. And once you do and you figure out that main point, it may take you 30 seconds or a minute the first time. Or maybe it takes you three minutes because you realize you weren't paying attention enough and you need to reread the passage. That's a lesson you need to learn right now. And then once you get better at predicting that main point, it's a skill that you'll develop and you'll be so much better at reading comprehension generally. And and so what happens is people, when they take the path of least resistance and they skip this step, they get into the question. It says, hey, what's the main point of the passage? And again, they're like, oh, Nathan and Ben said to predict the answer, but that takes mental effort. So they don't do it. They just say, oh, I'll just read the answer and I'll see if that one sounds like something that, oh, man. you know, like that's, that's probably 98% of test takers when they first start studying for the LSAT. They don't know anything about the test, and it's just like, what's the question? What's the main point? Hmm, I'm not sure. Let's see. A? Hmm, that kind of sounds like that could be the main point. Well, it's a path that's so tempting because Mm. in the short run, it's so much easier. It's easier for someone to throw something at you and say, does that sound right? Does that sound right? And then you can just be like, yeah or no. But it's not really (laughs) developing your reading comprehension. You're you're just – you're like getting good at something else. Well, that's also how you can miss four questions in the same passage because they ask you, there are far more main point questions than you think they are, mm-hmm. than, than people think there are. Like they're like, oh, well, that's the main point question. And then these are all these other questions. Well, not really because they're testing your reading comprehension. So there are detail oriented questions, but there are also many questions that are just related to the main point. There's hidden main point questions all over the reading comprehension. Yeah. It's basically just, did you get it? Did you follow the argument? Do you understand what the hell they're trying to sell you here? Yeah. When they ask you for the author's primary purpose, well, their primary purpose is to prove their main point. Yeah. And when they ask you for the author's attitude, their attitude is they have a primary purpose of proving their main point, you know? Yeah. Um, there's wrong answers all over the reading comp that say something that is just not in alignment with the main point. And those are just wrong answers. It's yeah. simpler than people think, but they have to take it more seriously than they think. Cause it, yeah. you have to, it's on you to comprehend it. If you, <laughs> you go into those answer choices, what happens on the main point question, people, if they're, if they're doing it passively, Right. And, and we're really trying to teach you to do the entire LSAT actively. We want you to be on offense, not defense. Mm-hmm. If you do it passively, you go into the answer choices like, oh, well, these will explain it to me. Um, yeah, they will frequently explain it to you incorrectly. Yeah. And if you miss that, so you can pick a wrong answer on the main point question. And now <laughs> you you now think that that was what the passage said when it's actually not. That was just, you now have an understanding of the passage that has been tainted by this wrong answer that you engaged with on the main point question. Yeah. You, you now actually don't understand what the passage is about because you didn't take the time to understand the passage before you got into the answer choices on that main point question. And now you are in a world of pain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're either going to miss every question, you're, you're going to miss, you're just going to miss a ton of questions or they're going to, you know, and they're going to seem difficult. Yeah. And, 
you know, you guys, you went to college, y'all. You, <laughs> you should be able to read this 60-line thing and figure out what the hell they're talking about. I would add that when people do start trying to predict the main point, and you mentioned this earlier, and when they start giving you the topic, it's another sort of shortcut. And they may not realize it. It's a little more subtle because they are predicting something. They are saying something. But when if you went into this law firm partner's office and they're like, okay, what's the bottom line? And you said, yeah. well, this this letter is about the upcoming litigation you, <laughs> with with Monsanto. You know, they'd be like, no shit. That was what it said on the cover of the fucking letter. Like, or I printed this email out from the opposing counsel. I know that. Like, of course it's about that litigation. Oh, no, no. I, I know. I understand. I'm sorry, sir. Um, it's, it's, they just call security immediately and <laughs> escort you out of the building. Like, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was, it was about um, the, the scientific aspects of the litigation. It's like, okay, okay, stop. The main point is going to be, I think, one of three things, and, and hopefully you can add to this list. It's going to be someone doing something, so or something or someone did something, or someone wants something, or someone thinks that someone else is wrong. And like you need to say what those things are, right? So tigers are going extinct in Africa because of this particular law that's failed or something like that, or the enforcement has failed. You need to start talking about things that are happening or people that want things or believe things, or they want you to believe things. And we need to know what those things are. I don't know. That's, that's what I'm trying to get beyond just it's about X. If you see, hear yourself saying it's about X and the X is just a singular noun, that's a problem. Yeah, it's like topic is good or bad because, right? Like it, when you really boil it down, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, the, the, really very frequently, if it's about a person, it's like, oh, I want to tell you about this amazing person who did these things, which are new and interesting in this way. Yeah, that's a really common one. Mm -hmm. Another common one would be like a problem that people are trying to solve. And here are, you know, a couple different approaches to solving it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, for, and almost always there will be some sort of an, an author's opinion in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I like this one better than that one because of these reasons. Yeah. Or neither of these are perfect. So maybe we need to create a third way. That would yeah. be what they and. In that case, that's what they really came here to tell you was mm -hmm. that there should be this other way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what other types of questions do students encounter? Well, so I generally look at reading comp and I say there tends to be two types. There tends to be questions that are asking about the structure of the passage as a whole or they're just asking you what must be true given what was said. Now, there are other questions, there are questions like which one following if true would strengthen the argument or the argument of the third paragraph or something like that. There are strengthened and weakened questions, but there tends to only be one per section at most. The most questions are basically like what has to be true? What is the author going to agree with, which is still just what must be true? 
um, or what is the organization or structure of the passage? They tend to fall into those two categories. And, and to me, that's really just one category anyway, because it's an evidence-based exercise. Which one do we have evidence for, mm-hmm. essentially, right? So when mm-hmm. they're asking you about the structure, yeah, okay, technically, what do you mean? You can, semantically, you can call it whatever you want. They're asking you whether you're able to read and understand this document. That's what they're really asking you. So mm-hmm. the wrong answers even on those technical structure type of questions, yeah. the wrong answers are just misdescribing the argument. Like this is not what they did. So that's not the answer. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's this whole huge category of must be true ish questions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You call them in, you call them supported. Oh, uh, well, so what I've noticed is in reading comp, they're almost universally phrased as which one of the following is most strongly supported by the passage as opposed to what must be true. Yeah. But Um, to me, that's all just a must be true question. I mean, they'll say like they have that question that goes, it can be inferred from the passage that the author would be most likely to believe which one of the following mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and real smart students will start trying to read between the lines too much and they'll miss the question because they'll, Oh, well I'm supposed to infer what the author would believe. Yeah. But the important part of that question stem is where it says from the passage, (laughs) it can be inferred from the passage, not inferred from your own fantasy mind. (laughs) Like not, not inferred does not mean made up. Inferred means must be true. Yeah. Yeah. So based on the passage, Mm-hmm. Which one of these, like we have evidence, imagine standing up in court and like telling the judge that this document in your hand says this mm-hmm. and ain't no inferring about that. <laughs> it's like, and it, and it's not speculating about what the author would believe. It's about what the author said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, your honor, right here in line 42, it says this. Yeah. That's why that's the answer. So that's true for 85% of the questions on the reading comp. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that, um, I think that's the easiest way to think about it. And the most effective way to think about it, just say, Hey, what answer must be true. Um, I do think that sometimes uh, smart students will look at an answer and be like, well, that doesn't necessarily have to be true. I was like, yeah, you're right. But it's the one answer that has very good evidence for it. The other answers don't have evidence for it or maybe even counter evidence in the passage. Yeah. If you had to pick one, I mean, you do have to pick one, right? We're supposed to pick the best answer. Yeah. So one of these, you're going to eventually go, well, okay, I could have a quibble with it. That's good. Actually, if you do, that means you're, you're really tuned in and you're really being critical of the answer choices. Yeah. But these four are worse. I mean, I can't pick that because it's opposite of what the passage said. I can't pick that because it's too, it's too strong. This one's also too strong. This one's just irrelevant. It's not even what the passage was about at all. Yeah. This one though, because it said this in the passage, this one has support from the passage. So that's the one. Yeah. And, and you, you shouldn't have to go back to the passage very often. How often Ben? I go back probably once or twice 
per passage, probably once. And it's usually to confirm that an answer is correct. Okay. Right? Like, it's like, whoa, this answer seems right, but it says most. I don't remember it being true for most of these gazelles. And then I go right. back to the passage, and it's like, usually. I was like, oh, okay, it was. It was for most of these gazelles. Okay, yeah. Uh, that's the answer. Or, nope, it's not most. I knew it, and that's why this answer is wrong, and some of the answer might be correct. Cool. Um, I guess the only other question type that I would really want to talk about is they will sometimes ask you to strengthen or weaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Normally, that's to strengthen or weaken a position that was taken somewhere in the argument. Now it's not like strengthen or weaken the main point. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, but it's like they were built. Someone was building an argument at some point during the passage. They described someone doing an argument and it'll say, which one of the following would lend the most support to the contention in line 42. Mm -hmm. And at that point you're going to go back if you, you're not going to probably remember what was said exactly in line 42. So you're going to, I mean, we're not memorizing line numbers, right? Yeah. So we probably have to go back to the passage to reread. Oh, right. I remember this was the point they were trying to make. Mm-hmm. And then how do I strengthen that? Or how do I weaken that? Yeah. You got to read that question real carefully to make sure that they're not just asking you to describe the argument. Most of the questions are asking you to just describe the passage, which one yeah. did the passage do? Yeah. But when you read carefully, you'll see that sometimes they're asking you to support something that was said in the passage, strengthen or or even weaken something yeah. that was said in the passage. I would say those strengthen and weaken questions tend to be among the harder set of questions in reading comp. They're very rare, but they tend to be some of the harder questions. And I think they tend to be some of the harder questions because people don't take time to clearly identify what they're trying to strengthen or weaken. Without that clear idea of what you're trying to strengthen or weaken, it's very easy to be tempted by answers that are strengthening other parts of the argument because the passage is long. I mean, it's you know, it's got 16 sentences. Which one are you going to strengthen? Which idea are you going to help? Um, and again, that's kind of – I don't want to say laziness, but it's it's sort of like you're reading the the, the – question and it says which one following if true does the most to strengthen the argument of the critic in the third paragraph and you're kind of like the critic in the third paragraph i think that was kind of about x (laughs) and then you'd start looking at answer choices say does that seem like something that would weaken it as opposed to going back and saying what did this critic say this critic said we should not use envelopes um in the new economy and it's like okay that's what this person is saying. Can I find an answer that says we should use envelopes in the new economy? I don't even know what that means, by the way, but it doesn't really matter. You find <laughs> you know, the idea, the actual idea that you're trying to strengthen or weaken. And once that happens, the wrong answers become more obviously wrong. Great. Um, talk about section – like when we look at a reading comprehension section, we have four passages. So I need to make sure that I race the clock, right? Eight minutes and 45 seconds for each one. Yeah, I mean, if, keep if, close. You, yeah, if you hit the 845 and you're not finished, just go to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and if you finish early, just hang out. <laughs> <laughs> so on the LSAT overall, we are not racing the clock. We are not trying to do each one of these passages in eight minutes and 45 seconds. We are trying to do our work 
the work of a lawyer and we're trying to do that work accurately because we don't get paid if we don't do it accurately. Yeah. Right. I would much rather you do three passages with high accuracy than four passages with shitty accuracy. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're not getting paid if you don't get the right answer. So you have to get the right answer before you move on to the next question. And you have to get the right answers for all the questions in one passage before you move on to the next passage. Yeah. There are four passages in reading comp. There's 27 questions normally in reading comp. There's a lot of points mm -hmm. available. Mm -hmm. You can score 20 points on the reading comp pretty easily by only doing three passages. Yeah. Right. If you do three passages, get them all right and guess on the one passage you didn't read. That's going to be more than 20 points. Yep. And so you got to be honest with yourself. If you did all four passages and you only got 15 points, I see students do that all the time. Mm. And it's, that's just, it's a tragedy because you could have done less work more accurately and gotten paid more for it. Yeah. Anything about should, should, what do you think about? Should they skip around in the reading comp? Should they scan the topics before they decide which one they want to do? No. So I would, we might slightly disagree here. I'm okay with someone doing passage one, doing passage two. And then if, if they're the kind of person who should be doing three passages, um, and not four, then if they read the first sentence of three and they're like, oh, I I absolutely hate humanity topics or whatever, and this is right. clearly humanities, I'm okay with them skipping and doing four because yeah. I don't know that there's necessarily going to be much of a difference. What I don't want people doing, though, is spending a bunch of time on the third passage and then deciding, oh, I'm out of here. Like, it's either commit or commit to something else and, and, and you can't don't skip make this the first. a process. No, right. we're not skipping the first easy. ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first sometimes passages, it's been hard, but that's rare. Yeah. First passage tends to be the easiest one. We're going to for sure do that one and get all those points. And then if you are a three passage, no, I think we agree perfectly, Ben, if you're oh, a okay. three passage type of a person, mm, mm -hmm. which there's no shame in that, by the way, you can be successful on the LSAT with only three passages. I mean, you're not going to, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Yale, but you're, you're, you can get a 165 with yeah. only reading three passages. Yeah. Um, it's real hard to get 170 with only three passages. Um, but if, if you are a three passage type of person, you can skip the second if you hate the topic. You can skip the third if you hate the topic. Uh, but you remember, you're only going to get one skip. Yeah. Right? So I, I really don't want you to like skip the second passage and then look at the third passage and go, oh, shit, I don't like this one either. And then go to the fourth passage and then come back later to the second pass. You know, <laughs> now you're just dividing up your attention too much. Oh, yeah. So you got to take the passages one at a time and you basically just have to get them all right. And you're allowed one uh, passage skip if you're only going to do three. Yeah. Do we need to make any comments about, um, oh, if you're going to skip, you know, one strategy might be to skip the one that has the fewest questions. What do you think about that? I'm okay with it partly because I don't know that it matters so much which passage you ultimately do. 
like the one with the fewest questions could also be the one that's easiest for you to understand and you're mm-hmm. going to fly through it and get those all right. Whereas one with eight questions might not go as well. So yeah, I guess I just don't think about that as much. I, I'm, I'm more like if you're going to skip, maybe it's the third passage and maybe it's after like a sentence and that's it. Cause I'm, I mean, I I would prefer that everybody just get used to reading hard, boring stuff. But if you know that those law passages are just pencils in your eyes and it starts talking about, you know, Sir Edmund's treatise on (laughs) gaming law, you're like, oh, man. Like, And you're going to be more interested in a science passage that's coming next or vice versa. Then yeah, maybe you should skip and just go. You know. <laughs> also, if that's the case, the the law ones are like <laughs> sticking pencils in your eyes. Um, you might want to consider a different career path. Like that. What do you think you're going to be reading when you get to law school? So, yeah. Yeah. Ideally, you you either you need to get interested in those legal ones. Because um, <laughs> if you can't, boy, you are you in for a treat when you yeah. have three years of reading exactly that same shit and your entire career doing that shit. Yeah. I mean, thankfully there are lawyers who right focus a lot on science or sure. antitrust. So there, there can be a place for you, but um, yeah, in any case, <laughs> in general, <laughs> don't skip, just, just tackle these and own yeah. them. Yep. Any comments about the uh, about the comparative reading? Uh, the one thing I would say is that we're going to do the exact same thing. We're going to read the first passage. We're going to make sure that we understand it. We're going to predict uh, where we think the author is going. When you're finished, you should have a good sense of what the main point is. It's easier because this is only one or two paragraphs instead of three well, or four. Yeah, I should. we should say, Ben, for people who are brand new novices, comparative reading, one of the four passages is divided up into passage A and passage B. And that's what we mean when we say the comparative reading. There's that's, one of those on every LSAT. Um, and so Ben is saying now he's going to read passage A and do the exact same thing we were doing with all the other passages. Go yes. On, thank you. Sorry about that. Yeah. So you have like basically two short pair, two short passages and they're related to each other. Um, but you read the first passage and you try to make sure you understand it. You state the main point when you're finished reading it. And if you do a good job with that, then what actually happens, at least I find myself doing, as I read the second passage, this is a comparative reading passage. In other words, the questions are going to ask you how the passages are similar, how they're different, how one passage does one thing while another passage does not do that thing. Uh, So recognizing the similarities and differences between the two passages is key, right? And these two passages were not necessarily written with each of the passages in mind. So the pas- the author of passage B might be completely, in fact, I think in almost all cases, is completely unaware of whoever wrote passage A. These are just two random passages on a similar topic. And so if you read passage A very well and you understand what's going on and you own it and you understand the main point, as you start reading passage B, you'll start noticing differences. You'll be like, wait, okay, so passage B is saying something similar here, but then they're kind of going in a slightly different direction here. Or they both seem to agree, but B is taking 
a broader perspective. It's stepping back a little bit and analyzing this issue at a higher level. Whatever the differences might be, just take note of them as you're going through so that by the time you're done with passage B, you know what its main point is, but you also recognize how it's slightly different or maybe significantly different than passage A. If you can do that, then you're ready for whatever question they ask you because that's what they're going to do. Okay. Some people think that comparative reading for them is harder because of the questions, I guess. Um, Other people think that the comparative reading is easier for them for whatever reason. Um, I, my first reaction when I saw comparative reading for the first time was that it was more interesting because you had two different speakers going on for 30 lines instead of going on for 60 lines. Sure. Um, so I guess, you know, different people are going to experience the comparative reading in different ways. I don't think it's easier. I don't think it's harder. It's just another passage. I think when you get good enough at the LSAT, you're barely even going to notice that, that, that you're doing the comparative reading passage. Cause all it really is, is just comprehending. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people might find it harder or easier, but I think the challenge with that is that you don't really know until you've done a ton of tests because how do you know that it was the, yeah. the comparative nature that made it easier or harder? Maybe it was just the topic. Just like, oh, I thought passage two was a lot harder than passage three, and both of them are not comparative. Both of them are single passages. Uh, Something about them, something about the questions made one harder than the other. So if you read a comparative passage and you're like, oh, well, that was easy, maybe it was because the passages or the passages themselves were not that hard for you or a topic that you feel good about. So you really have to see that consistently over time. And I think that people are notoriously bad at that. People do two two tests, and on both occasions, they score worse on their second LR section. And then they start asking, like, these general questions about the LSAT. Like, yeah. oh, um, is the logical reasoning section at the end always harder? And it's like, yeah. um, n- no. Well, I consistently, consistently score worse on the second LR section than the first. And it's like, how many tests have you taken? Two. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even if it was five or ten, that's yeah. still not. It's still not enough data. It's no. It's, I mean, hey, you're smart. People are smart. They're they're good at seeing recognizing patterns, right? You just yeah. have to be real careful not to get trapped into um, seeing a pattern that doesn't actually exist. Well, and a little side note here, it's it's great that you can uh, recognize patterns before they may actually be justified um, because maybe there's not even really a pattern there. You just think there is. Uh, you probably do that because your ancestors – who could do that are still alive. And the ones who couldn't recognize (laughs) that, oh, when the grass is moving, that means there's a fucking tiger there. They're dead. (laughs) And so, you know, some people, you can have false positives and you're still alive. You can't have false, or wait, what is it? True positive? True negatives. I don't even know. Like, if you don't think that you're like, no, 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 I don't think there's a tiger there. We can't tell just from this one instance that um, a grass moving is a tiger. Well, those guys are dead, right? Those analytical idiots. So... I can understand why people jump to these conclusions, but you have to be careful, at least when you're trying to do the test. Okay. I want to um, say one final thing about reading comprehension, which is just um, 
the way we go fast is on the questions themselves and the way we're able to go fast uh, specifically on the wrong answer choices. When you're looking at the passage and the questions on reading comp, most of the words on the page, like half of the words on the page are rock are locked up in the wrong answer choices. Yeah. And I'm going to read the passage carefully enough and I'm going to read the question carefully enough that I'm going to be able to make a prediction. I'm going to, I'm going to know what I'm looking for. And then I'm going to seriously disrespect the wrong answer choices mm-hmm. because four out of five answer choices are wrong. So I'm going to expect them to be wrong and I'm going to very quickly skim through answer choices to find the one and only one answer that I will then read very carefully to make sure it's correct yeah. before I pick it and move on to the next question. So I'm putting in the work up front, reading the passage. Mm-hmm. Then the questions become very easy and especially it becomes really simple, trivial to dismiss wrong answer choices, which are just completely off the rails and like not even about, they're like just totally misdescribing. It's like they have the words from the passage, mm-hmm. but they don't have any meaning that's related to the passage they're just garbage. Goodbye. Yeah. And that's how you end up going fast. That's my final remark on reading comp. You can close it out if you want. Amen. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. So that's LSAT <laughs> fundamentals on reading comprehension. That was great. Okay, cool. Yeah. Want to move to the rest of the agenda here? Okay, go for it. You want to read this one? Sure. Dear uh, Catherine. The early decision deadline is fast approaching. Complete your law school application by January 10, 2019, and you may be eligible for a $500 Barnes & Noble gift card. (laughs) What? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Early. So this is. Are you fucking kidding me? This came out. Okay. This was sent on January 4th. They have six days. About an early decision deadline which was January 10th, which is not early. And they're trying to entice her with a $500, a chance to win. You may be eligible for, Mm. oh my God. What? Oh my God. The early decision application is available to students who wish to secure their seat in the class of, oh wait, in the class of 2022. Oh, that's graduating class. So yeah, this Mm -hmm. is right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, On or before January 15, 2019, applicants who are admitted under the early decision application will be notified of their decision and scholarship on or before January 10, 2019. Students who confirm on or before January 15, 2019 will receive a $500 gift card to Liberty University Barnes & Noble Bookstore upon conclusion of orientation in August 2019. Oh my God. <laughs> so <clears throat> you pay us uh, $40,000. We'll give you 500 back and you have to spend yeah. it at our bookstore. <laughs> yeah. That's five. How many books are they going to get for that 500 bucks? By the way, how many, how many of their law textbooks are they going to get? <laughs> two, two, that's yeah, two. <laughs> they get 500 bucks. They'll get more than that, but <laughs> I don't I think. think so, Ben, dude. <laughs> Are you serious? I was thinking I, like hundred a pop, maybe 150. No way, man. My no books, way? 
my my books at Hastings, uh, I I would routinely be spending like almost a thousand dollars on a for a semester. Okay. Like it, it's just it's fucking outrageous. It's so ridiculous. Also, the other th- scam about college uh, about um, law school textbooks. Please, everybody out there, don't buy your textbooks. It's so dumb to buy your textbooks. You really don't need to. Just figure out a way not to buy your textbooks. It's ridiculous. They'll they'll like have oh no, um, we're using the thirteenth edition. Uh, oh really? The previous oh. twelve editions? We can't use the twelfth edition? Yeah. And yeah. it's like oh no, because and what did they add to it? They added like a couple of notes at the end of one of the cases or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, we need to make sure that we're studying the the most current version of <laughs> and then like what is it what are the cases that you're actually reading? It's like yeah. shit from the 1700s. It's like shit it's <laughs> like yeah, okay, they did put, you know, one or two brand new cases in the back or whatever, but you could just get those on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, don't buy your books. And also don't go to Liberty University School of Law. This is where is Liberty University School of Law? Uh, see, I just looked it up. Um, the tuition is actually 35000 so I wasn't too far off. Um, <laughs> visit us. Oh, okay. Sure. I'd love to visit Liberty University Christian School of Law. Um, it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Mm. Wow. All right. I, you, so if you sign up, you have to confirm. You have to apply, get admitted, and go to actual start their school. Yeah. And then at the conclusion of orientation, they'll give you a $500 gift card. This is after you've already paid your first semester tuition of 17,500. Yeah. <laughs> the 500 is for the gift card. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that you then are going to go spend in the bookstore. Oh my God. All right. This is, well, this is, this is interesting. I'm like, I'm looking at their website right now and it's, it's, you know, they have these pictures of students who look happy and they're going to orientation and stuff. It actually makes me feel a little queasy. I'm like, uh Oh, if I'm at all responsible for encouraging people to sign up for some school like this, I feel like I'm part of the, the big ploy. Come here, give us thousands of dollars and look at, we have this great system organized for you. Oh man. If you go to law school, you got to know what you're getting into and go to a place for free or at least a very good place for as cheap as possible. Looking at the 509 report, 25th percentile LSAT 149, 75th percentile LSAT 156. Mm. Um, I mean, those are just like, (laughs) those are not normally going to turn into high powered attorneys. I'm sorry. Yeah. Grants and scholarships. 97% of the class is getting a scholarship, hmm. which is just like, that's such a joke. Yeah. What, what that is just like patently obvious that your tuition is overpriced. Yeah. Less than half tuition, 14% are getting less than half tuition. I mean, those are the real suckers. Cause yeah. th- those people are like, you're paying, if you're like, if 97% are getting grants, <laughs> then if they say like, Hey, here's $5,000, that's like, you're basically the worst anyone got. I mean, there were a couple people, literally <laughs> there were five people, Ben, 
who didn't yeah. get any scholarship at all. Yeah. And then there's, there's another 23 people who got less than half tuition. Those are all the suckers. Like those are the people who are paying everything. Yeah. And then 120 people got somewhere between half and full. That was 71% of the class is getting somewhere. <laughs> 71% of the class is getting somewhere between half and full tuition. 10% get full tuition. 2% get more than full tuition. 10% get full tuition. Wow. Yes. Okay. And, and 2% get more than full tuition. So the full and more than full is 12% of the class. And there's another, and then there's, yeah, there's the uh, 17% of the class that are really getting screwed. <laughs> and then everybody else in the middle is paying like what the school actually costs, which is something like half about yeah their 50th percentile grant amount is 19,000 and they're giving grants to 97% of the class. So basically you just take the tuition of 36,000 subtract 19,000 and you get the actual cost of the school. Mm-hmm. Oh man, <laughs> which just, is 17,000. Just, just <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, <clears throat> just to help anyone who's joining us now, um, Nathan's looking at the 509 report for the school. So you just Google Liberty University School of Law 509. It's going to be the first search result, and it's going to be a PDF. And you just go down and you start looking at the scholarship numbers. You can see exactly how many people were admitted, what percentage of them got scholarships, a roughly how much scholarship they got. Uh, you, you want to know all this stuff so you can know that when you're going there, are you paying more or less than most people? <laughs> By the way, transfers out zero. <laughs> oh, wow. That is so, surprising. Well, I mean, it's not that surprising. It's a shitty school. Like no well, one, you know, like, I guess what I'm surprised there, about is like, wow, you're that shitty. I mean, cause there's usually yeah. some people leaving, right? Jeez. Yeah. So this is a school where even if you are like, at the top of the class, you're not going to transfer to somewhere better. Wow. Okay. You, you start at Liberty, you are going to finish at Liberty or, you know, drop out of school. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Okay. If someone's trying to give you, like, isn't that insulting? Would you not be insulted by that offer? It's insulting. I don't know if I'd the, be insulted. I'm not, like, insulted on a regular I, basis. It's but. just, no, but it's, it's <laughs> insulting people's intelligence. Like a $500 gift card that I have to sign up to go to the school. <laughs> I mean, it's, so, you are paying for the gift card. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's insulting, Ben. That's an insulting <laughs> offer. That's fucking stupid. I thought it was going to be like, if you apply, you'll be entered into a drawing for a chance I to win a five hundred dollar gift card. Yeah, yeah. That would be even less then I was insulting. Like, <laughs> even then, I was like, "Oh, great!" So, how many people are applying? What are my chances? But right, that would be uh, like a different kind of scam. But yeah. this is just like this is so ridiculous. Like, pay us thirty six thousand dollars a year, and we'll give you a five hundred dollar gift card. Okay, yeah. wow, that's a great deal. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, next one. Next one. Hello, Nathan and Ben. If this makes the podcast, please call me Monica. All right, Monica. Back in 2017, I scored a 158 on my first practice LSAT. Wow. Nice work. 
Uh, throughout that summer, my practice test scores rose through the 160s, and I reached the low 170s twice. For reference, my goal score is a 167. August 2017, I experienced test anxiety for the first time in my life, and I started panicking over the LSAT. I started my senior year of college, and although I was entering my most hectic two semesters of college, everyone's life is hectic, I know, I made the LSAT my priority for the first couple weeks of my fall semester. I took the LSAT September 2017 and scored a 152. Wow. I mean, two weeks of studying. <laughs> I, made, I made the LSAT my priority for the first couple weeks of my fall semester. Well, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. No, this is after getting her score up to uh, low 170s, I believe. Oh, she was studying through the summer. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I spaced out on that. That was okay. In general, we what? are quick to judge and slow to... <laughs> <laughs> one one fifty two, yeah, that's six points lower than her first diagnostic. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I currently work as a data analysis, and I love my job. Now that I'm settled into my job, I have the bandwidth to seriously study once again. Do you uh, do you recommend I look at this second attempt as a fresh start or as a continuation? Framing is everything. Wait, hold up. Hmm. 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 I don't know that. that <laughs> Is true. Like I, I, when you ask this question, I'm like, is this even an important question? Just start studying and seeing where you, you get what you get and how it is. You you have to work with where you are right now, regardless of your past. Um, and then you're saying framing is everything. I'm like, ah, I don't know if this is so important, but maybe framing is important. And the framing that you need to consider is that this is not an important framing. <laughs> um. I just want to know how you would frame this for a second time to LSAT taker. Keep I going. wouldn't worry about it. All right. Thank yeah. you for your podcast. The first time around, I was caught in the Kaplan trap and I used PowerScore books. I only discovered your Thinking LSAT podcast and online resources a few months ago, and I intend to use the demon this time around. Your guidance is much appreciated, and I hope you are able to get this question on Thinking LSAT. Best, Monica. Um, like, just start studying. I, I don't know that I worry about it. What do you think? Yeah, I think using the demon sounds like a really good plan. But I, I got to tell you, Monica, there there's one really common way that someone can score in the low 70s and then score a 152 on the actual test. The most common way people do that is they just shoot for the moon and on on the actual day of the test, like they they build it up into a big uh, today's the day. I'm gonna get my best score today. I'm gonna today. I've re, I've been in the low 70s before, but today is gonna be the day that I score 179. And if that's what you try to do, um, you can score 152 that way. Yeah, so in that sense, uh, framing is a big deal, right? Like a lot of test anxiety too comes from the fact that you're giving too much weight to this test and not just trying to see yourself for who you really are. You're you're good at this test. You scored a very high initial diagnostic. You pulled your practice test scores up to the low 170s. You know what's going on. You just have to believe that, recognize that reality, that you're good at this test. And when you sit down to do one, trust yourself and start 
tackling each question one at a time and know that you will get very far. You may not finish the section, but that doesn't matter. I know that you're going to do well. If you just believe in yourself and keep working and focusing on what you need to do to get the job done, not stepping back and panicking and thinking, oh, like Nathan said, I've got to shoot for the moon. I've got to do everything perfectly. I've got to do it all at once. No, just do what you have to do right now and then do the next question and you will do well. Yep. One question at a time and, you know, play your game, play the game you actually have, not the game you wished you had. Um, it's like, you're, you're good at the LSAT. I mean, if you can score in the low one seventies ever, you understand this shit. There's, there's there's no, there's just no possible way that you should score a one fifty two. That's, that shouldn't be in your, even in your range of possible scores. If you just were like on a practice test, you never would have done that. Because on a practice test, you would have been just doing your your thing. Well, yeah. you need to treat the official test like just another practice test and just do your thing. I don't like her super specific um, score, uh, the, the super specific um, 167 that she's looking for. Sure. It's like, what? Why? How do you want the best score you can achieve? You need a solid score within your range of practice tests. Yeah. And it looks like she got her range all the way up into the... High 160s, low 170s, great. So there's plenty of scores above 167 that are in your range. Yeah. You just have to go in there and accept your range. It's like you're on a, she was on like a breakaway, like fast break um, in basketball, and she's good at basketball, and she had an easy layup, and she decided to just fucking try to take off from the free throw line and dunk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like a Michael Jordan style. And, she ended up like just falling and embarrassing herself. Mm-hmm. So you gotta, you can't, you can't try to do anything different or special on the day of the test. I she might've been she like miss bubbled too. Like that's just, that's, that's possible. An, an incredible yeah. drop. You might, I mean, maybe she was triple checking and yeah. went way too slow. Maybe she was rushing and, you know, because she felt like she had to answer every single question you don't have to answer every single question to break 167. Even it one, might be easy. 170. <laughs> right. I mean, we got that one email a while back from somebody who had scored 174 without finishing any of the sections. That's totally possible. You just yeah. have to be accurate on the questions that you do attempt. Yep. Do the demon. Focus on accuracy. Do 35-minute sections. Focus on accuracy. And just take the LSAT again and but like stop trying to do something special on the day of the test that's my best advice yeah pearls versus turds yeah let's do it so this is uh sent to an emailer from stetson law okay stetson law that's in um florida i think time yourself during practice limit yourself to 30 minutes per section (laughs) okay Sorry, this is already bad. Um, Limit yourself to 30 minutes per section in practice rather than the 35 given on the test. (laughs) Then, once you've timed yourself answering the questions, there should be no time limit on figuring out what you did wrong. Um, I mean, that that part of it's good. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's true. Okay. (laughs) But overall... This is why why outside advice is so confusing for people out there, I think. They read on the internet and some stuff is good. And so then they assume that the rest is good too. I mean, this is actually a law school to be fair. It's just shitty law school, but this is, Oh, I didn't, I like totally glossed over it. Yeah. It's sent from the law school. Wow. 
Why do they think yeah. that they have the authority to start giving people else that advice? That's ridiculous. They're just trying to reach customers. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're just, they don't fucking care. Stetson law, ABA five Oh nine. What's their, let's what's their, uh, median these cowboys. Um, they're, uh, median LSAT is 155. 155. Yeah. Their 75th percentile LSAT is 157. <laughs> the joke of that, I mean, these people have no fucking clue what they're talking about because to get a 160, the easiest way to get a 160 is definitely not to finish the sections. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're not getting 160 already, you have no business finishing the sections. Yeah. You need to be doing 20 questions accurately. If you do 20 questions accurately, you're already at like 165. So this these idiots at Stetson Law who have a class far below 160 are now telling people to not only finish the section in 35 minutes, but actually try to do it in 30 minutes while they're practicing. That's crazy. <laughs> thank you. Stetson. <laughs> no, not thank you. Stetson. But anyway, that one is going down as another turd. I think that should become our new catchphrase when someone gives bad advice. Thank you, Stetson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Want to do this? Uh, I'm, I'm good to keep going if you are. Yeah, that's fine. We can do it a little bit longer. Hey, guys. I'm hoping you can explain what fundamental concept I need to revisit based on my repeated mistake in diagramming for sequencing log- logic games. I'm hoping you can explain what fundamental concept I need to revisit. Okay. The rules. In a game of people standing in line, G stands immediately ahead of J unless J is third. Okay. My diagram. If GJ, oh, (laughs) then not J3. (laughs) Yep. That's your problem right there. Yeah. You're treating unless is like if then not, but it needs to be if not. So your next rule says if J is third, then G is not before J. When you see unless, it means that if J just what I mean, here's the simple rule. It's not necessarily easy to put into practice right away. I know that because I've explained this a bajillion times and people still get it wrong even after explaining the simple rule. Um, So it's better to think about this intuitively, but I think intuitively you're getting mixed up. And so here's the simple thing to keep in mind right now. You can take the word unless and you can replace it with if not. So what this says is G stands immediately ahead of J unless J is third in line. So one thing you can do is you could say, hey, unless J is third in line. In other words, if J is not third in line. So I'm taking that that clause yep. that comes after unless, I'm making that my if clause, and I'm negating it. And I'm saying, okay, if J is not third in line, then I go back to the beginning, and I say G stands immediately ahead of J. I don't negate it, um, but that's what you're doing here. You're saying, you're doing like, two opposite things at the same time you're so the only thing you want to negate 
is the stuff that comes after unless, and you want to make that your if clause. And you want to make the stuff that comes at the beginning your then clause and leave it alone. Yep. That's one way of understanding it. Uh, another way to think about it on a more intuitive level is just that unless is describing an escape hatch. Uh-huh. Yep. It's like, we're going to die if we can't make it to that escape hatch. So if the if not the escape hatch, we're dead. Yep. Right? That's the same yep. technique, but just replacing unless with if not. But that that the the thing that's after the unless, that's the escape hatch. Yeah. If that shit's closed, we're dead. Yeah. So if we're alive, then that means that thing had to be open. Yeah. If it's not if it's not open, we're dead. Unless equals if not. This student also, I would just have to tack on here that like, why are you even diagramming this? To be honest. Sure. Like we both came up in a world where we would, where, where we thought that we were supposed to teach this shit by diagramming. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't think I would diagram it anymore. I think I would just immediately make two worlds. Sure. There's a world where Jay's third and there's a world where Jay's not third. Yep. In the world where Jay's not third, you have to have GJ. In the world where J is third, the rule doesn't apply. Yeah. It's real simple. And I don't, I would never even have the whole, if not J three, then GJ and the contrapositive and all that shit. I don't even need it. Yeah. Just make a world where J's third and a world where J's not third. Yeah. I think the hard part that people have is they, when they, it says J stands immediately ahead of, sorry, G stands immediately ahead of J unless J is third. Somehow they start thinking that like, if J is third, then G can't be <laughs> immediately in front of J. And it, it certainly can be. It's just the rule is dead, right? Like what you were saying. Yep. It goes away. That's confusing sufficient for necessary. Yeah. I mean, you, you make a world where the sufficient condition is true. In this case, it would be J not third. That's the sufficient condition. Yep. Unless J is third. If J is not third. That's the sufficient condition. J not third. In that world, then you have to apply the necessary condition G before J, G immediately before J. In the other world where J is third, the sufficient condition cannot be met. Therefore, the rule doesn't matter. Yep. And then you don't even have to fuck around. There is no contrapositive. (laughs) Yeah. We have a world where the rule has been fully applied and a world where the rule does not apply. Yeah. I want to go back to your... uh, analogy because i think it's a good one the intuitive one um one way to think about unless sentences is to imagine the first half is like a rule so basically the first half is that's just the plan it says we're gonna die yeah g stands immediately ahead of j okay that's what i'm gonna do unless j is third okay that's the one time you can break the rule yeah it's the escape hatch it's the one time you can avoid the rule but it doesn't mean that you will. You don't have to avoid the rule. But if you want to, that's when you can. Yeah, um, we could still die anyway. Yeah. We could go out the escape hatch and drown. We could go out the escape hatch and get eaten by a shark. But we know for sure we're going to die if we can't find the escape hatch. We have to follow the rule. Yeah. Right. And it, when the escape hatch is open, all bets are off. Now it's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Great. Uh, hope that helps, Sam. Yeah, I hope that helps. Uh, Hey, Nathan and Ben, this is Drew. I attended your second class in New York City. What's up, Drew? 
A while back, I made a pledge on the Facebook group to donate $5 for every point I improved on my LSAT since my diagnostic. I wanted to give you both an update. After months of studying and listening to the podcast, I scored a 169 on the November test, which puts me in the 96th percentile of all test takers. My cold diagnostic was a 152. Wow. Wow. Good job. Thanks for everything you both do. More than the tips and pointers, your podcast was a constant reminder to study and stay focused. I don't think I would have scored 169 without your help. So in staying true to my pledge, I'd like to donate $85 to the podcast, $5 for each of my 17 points of improvement from 152 to 169. Without becoming a recurring patron... Wait, what did we used to say when we said that all the time? Yeah, Patreon, right? Is there Patreon. any way to yeah, make like, a one-time like donation movie. to the show? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is there any way to make a one-time donation to the show? If show, if so, shoot me the link and I'll shoot y'all the dough. Thanks, Drew. How do they do that, Ben, if they want to give us money? Well, there's a couple of ways. Uh, the most important way is if you make a donation of $2,000 or greater, we will give you a $500 gift card um, <laughs> to our merch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and that uh, is guaranteed, awesome. yeah. Uh, as soon as you confirm that the $2,000 has been transferred. Um, yeah, no, how can they do that? If they go to Thinking LSAT, actually, we move things around. If they go to thinkinglsat.com and they, it's, um, da, 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 you scroll down and what does it say? Wow, it's not, not here anymore. <laughs> oh, join us. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, yeah. Okay. So if you click on join us, you will see a donate link and you can just donate one time. So if you there want you to do that and you can, if you click on join us, that will give you all the links for like Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Patreon, uh, the newsletter. If you don't get the newsletter, by the way, you should, cause Adam's notes are amazing and you'll know exactly what we're talking about in each episode. Um, if you don't follow us on Instagram, you should definitely follow us on Instagram. Yeah. I was loving the shit that that uh, the team has been putting up lately. Yeah, on Instagram, including like the. Did you see the ones Ben that were like the 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 snippets, like the Adam's best snippets? Yeah, put on put onto Instagram yeah. slides or whatever. Oh my god, <laughs> so awesome! Um, our team is much stronger than we are, Ben. <laughs> that's that's they amazing. Are. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> uh cool um so all right thanks thanks for that drew um you want to leave it there ben or you want to do this i should should probably get going but um i will say uh along those lines if you want to join the facebook group there are now 1224 members i guess i didn't Uh, update that so it might be more than that now but there's lots of people on on uh, our facebook group giving each other bad advice about the lsat um, take all that with a grain of salt. <laughs> it's not all bad. There's definitely good advice in there. Um, There's good and bad. It's Facebook. I mean, I don't know. At least you'll get the arguments for both sides because I think that there are true listeners who come in and uh, correct them. And you may not know which one to listen to, but at least you'll be more ready for the debates when you hear them on the show. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us. Yes, of course. Um what is it at thinking LSAT for Instagram? We are also on Twitter at thinking LSAT. Nathan's at N Fox. I'm at Olson Benjamin. Uh, we both offer live classes in our respective towns. Nathan is in LA and San Francisco at foxlsat.com. I'm in DC at strategyprep.com. We, of course, do one on one tutoring online on Skype all the time and in person. Um, but our joint project, which is what we're working on right now, is lsatdemon.com. 
go there, sign up, get a free trial, check things out. We are constantly developing it. So I wanted to just take a moment here to say thank you for everyone who's signed up because you are making future features possible. We have not turned a profit on this despite the fact that people have so many people have signed up because we just take all the money that we earn from it and we turn it back into development. So we keep trying to make it better and we appreciate the feedback and it's just been fun. Yeah, thanks for asking questions. Um, when you do the demon, you will encounter questions that have explanations, both video and written, from me and Ben. We think it's you know the highest quality um, LSAT education you can possibly get. Uh, but there are also questions that don't yet have explanations. If you just hit the ask button and request it, we will be, um, we will be creating new content all the time. I'm going to go do that right now. Sit down yeah. and uh, write an ex- explanation or two. So. By the way, thanks for doing that. I know that um, you've taken the lead on that and I'm seeing more and more of those emails every day. Like how many do we get a day? <laughs> well, it's people like, realize that they're like, I think people are realizing, holy shit. If I ask a question, I'm going to get an email from Nathan like two hours later. Yeah. <laughs> with with like a full written explanation. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not going to always be the case because I'm going to get inundated. But, you know, it's keeping me motivated to work and to create new good LSAT explanations. I'm also really enjoying um, encountering some of these questions from, you know, the prep tests in the teens and 20s. They're perfect, by the way. They're 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 just LSAT questions, yeah. you know, but it's all stuff I've never seen before, so it's kind of fun to um tackle new new questions um uh in the same old ways, but definitely check out the demon, do the free trial at least. How, how can you possibly lose? And uh yeah, put me to work. Just hit hit that yeah. ask button. <laughs> Cool. All right. That was uh, show number 177. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for the law school.